0: Your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Vietti.
1: So... David, I think for the past week, all you have been doing 24 hours a day is answering messages in our message boards. Well, not all,
2: but I've definitely been putting some time in there. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I had to put up the analysis of the fabricated photograph that we attempted to discuss with Michael Horn in our last episode, but that he really wouldn't address Gene. And, you know, I put these pictures up for people to look at on our forums on the Paracast.com uh, website. And uh, basically, Michael continued to do what he was doing on the air, which was to essentially attack my credibility, your credibility, to cite third-party uh, witnesses that he has no corroboration for at all, and skate around all the issues. He, now, what ended up happening on the forums was that he, I guess, got other members of the Meyer cult And I'll call it a cult, and these guys are freaked out that I'm calling it a cult, but that's what it is. A cult, by definition, is an organization that has a charismatic leader, that creates a mythos, that attempts to use any aspects of parascience to justify that mythos and to give it momentum, and uh, to use these things to gather power and collect money. And that's exactly what the Meyer clan is doing. I'll go on record again here saying that this is a a, a cult. And um, so Michael had certain cult members come over to the forum, and started to attack our show, started to attack me personally. And, and then I put up the results of my analysis, which other people found to be very compelling. <laughs> There's not much to debate about what I found. Michael refused to address these, um, these findings of mine. And then, and this really, really just made me cringe. He attempted, when, and I said to him, look, you've got to address my findings. You said you would. You promised you would, and you haven't. He then brings up, some friend of his, he doesn't, this person doesn't come on the forum, of course, but he mentions that he's got a friend who's been a photography and special effects expert for 50 years, who says that the images were a triple exposure that they happened in camera. And this is where it gets really good, because he said, well, these images were triple exposures, they happened in camera, only happened for these eight nighttime shots and that was the explanation for what I found. And, uh, and oh, by the way, look at the rest of the evidence. Look at some other pictures. He completely skated around what I found. He refused to discuss directly any aspect of the details of my image analysis. And then he just, what happened, Gene? And um, my lovely girlfriend, who heard our show, said to me, this guy was unraveling on the air, which is really what it sounds like. He then completely unraveled on our forums and literally had what, I mean, appears to be a mental breakdown. Well, you know what
1: surprises me here is that he even tries to drop these things, these phrases in there, double exposure, triple exposure. You know what? He has no idea what that is.
2: No. He admitted on the forums he has no knowledge of photography, no knowledge of image processing, no knowledge of audio engineering. He basically, I don't. we don't have to make this stuff up. He said it. He said, I don't know these things, but I trust people who, I can't tell you who they are because I don't want them to come under your attack. That's what he said to me. I mean, it's like, wait, are, are you kidding me? Are you joking? This is... I mean, this whole thing about having some friend who's been in, in the industry for fifty years who says these things but doesn't want to say them directly, and then Michael says, and you have to trust my word. I mean, I thought that was just a, a it was a dark joke.
1: Well, what makes it even more upsetting to me is that nobody nobody amongst his crew of syncophants actually had the courage to admit. They came there for that reason. They tried to act Mm -hmm. as if they were independent observers. But yeah, we come back to the double, triple exposure thing. And I have a message I've posted in the board, and I'm sure we'll be getting responses over the next few weeks about it. And that is, I am not a professional photographer. I don't play one on TV. I don't portray one in a radio drama. I was an amateur, but I also played with 35 millimeter cameras, not expensive ones. I was developing photographs when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, okay? Mm-hmm. So I know something about it, and... Those old mechanical 35 millimeter cameras, for example, you couldn't just do a double exposure accidentally. It's not like the old brownie camera from the 1950s where you turn a knob to go from picture one to picture two or something like that. You cock the shutter. the transport moves the film to the next position. Now, Mm -hmm. if you do want to make a double exposure, because some people do that for special effects, you push a button and you cock the shutter. A little button. Now, Mm -hmm. could the one-armed man do that? Well, it might be a little difficult, but we assume the one-armed man could do that. But you couldn't do it accidentally okay this is not an accidental double or triple exposure now let's look at the results of the double exposure Mm -hmm. okay you'll see say for example i take a picture of a Door. And then I expose it again. I move a few inches. You see two full frame images right, right. of the door, all blurry. The entire thing is blurry. So now we look at the picture David analyzed and we look at, say, example, the left corner where this particular part of what a garage or something like that is sharp and clear. Oh, yeah. It's not a double exposure. No, clearly it is not, not it's, a it, it, it's double not. exposure. It's something done where you maybe you superimpose, which is what David suggests here. And certainly his analysis shows he's correct. You take two negatives and you don't align them or you align them to a specific fashion to make sure certain elements of the picture will come together. And you go into a enlarger. And this is something that (laughs) if I could do it at 12 years old and we have the one arm bandit or whatever here, Billy Meyer, who studied all over the world he was in the french foreign legion certainly he knows how to put two negatives into an enlarger
2: or one of his friends does
1: yeah I mean, End of speech
2: well it just it got to the point where there was no response to what he promised he said i will address after the show david will put the pictures up and i will address your specific questions about them and uh he lied he did no such thing He simply continued to fall back on character assassination, on personal attacks. And then the best part, you know, he does this, and then essentially what he does is to continually turn around and accuse us, especially me, Of doing the things to him that that he was doing, this is psychological projection, Gene, of the most basic type. This is not a sophisticated thing. This is the kind of thing that Psych 101 students learn. Is the product of a a not very healthy mind, and I really think that you know, part of me, I got to tell you, I feel a little bad about what happened. In that this guy literally unraveled on the air. He he unraveled on the forum and. It's not, you know, he kept putting forward that, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm deriving pleasure from this, from watching him be put through the strainer. That's a masochistic statement. I derive no pleasure from this. Like you said to him on the show more than once, both of us, but especially me, I would be more than happy to have real hard evidence of a legitimate UFO sighting. Nothing would make me happier. I don't get any pleasure from debunking this stuff because, like I've stated, and I'll say this again about the Meyer situation, this cult has marginalized legitimate ufo research they have attempted to paint all other ufo experiences or certainly the vast bulk of them as being bogus i mean it, you know in the fifth episode of the paracast i talk about incredible ufo encounter i had with my brother my parents and thousands of other people in Caracas. i mentioned this on the forum and michael said to me why should i believe you do you have the notarized statement about your experience Which, of course, is silly. I don't need a notarized statement for a first hand account of what happened to me. And then, and this is the best part, he accused me of wanting to start my own cult. Now, I have to say this. Yes,
1: my master. Yes, my uh, master.
2: Well, well, (sighs) that was, no, seriously, that was a psychological slip on his part that he would think that anybody would talk about a UFO experience in the light of wanting to start a cult says to me that Michael knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what Myers is up to. He's spoken to Myers. He's mentioned to me in emails that he has a contract with the Myers people. You don't have a contract unless there's money exchanging hands. He claims he doesn't get any money from these guys, but yes, he has a contract. What the hell is that? Does he think we're stupid? You have a contract if you have a business relationship. That's what a contract is.
1: Just want to remind everyone that if you want to contact myself or David on the powercast address your letters to news at the news at the powercast.com and check out our message forums at the that's the and watch the links on the site to our message boards you've
3: entered another dimension you've entered the powercast
1: Let me demonstrate one more thing before we go on that. This is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we're doing the Monday morning quarterback routine on last week's <laughs> show before we get into this week's show, which is so much more pleasant as oh, you'll yes. find out in a moment.
2: I have to say there's a, someone on our forum who's named Aliyah and this person put up a quote that I thought really summed up this entire experience in a way that You just couldn't, (laughs) I didn't think of, you didn't think of. And what this person said was, what would a silent one-armed man who is more believable through his quietness say about a noisy two-armed man representing him who does not know when enough is enough? My friend. That pretty much sums up the Michael Horn experience.
1: Now, I think you ought to tell us how you got to meet this week's guest as a change of pace, because I think we're finished with the Meyer subject for (laughs) a long,
2: long, long Uh, time. Forever and ever plus a day. Someone very close to me. I want to make sure that I don't reveal to Amara how I found out about her. This is kind of a thing to maintain objectivity, but someone very close to me had a reading with her and told me that she was rather incredible, that she was very prescient, that she was very accurate. And that she was incredibly well spoken and I thought these are all very good signs for a psychic let's change flavors and let's have her on the show and see what happens so
1: then you had occasion to talk to her because I'm sure like you and I were somewhat skeptical of psychics in general but having gotten this particular piece of information from someone close to you you called Amara Right. What happened next?
2: I was blown away. I thought, my God, I, you know, this this person sounds well. She didn't sound at all like a psychic. She. Th- there were topics we talked about that got into play. I mean, in her in her own words, that got a little woo-woo. But that said. I found her to be just fascinating. I thought she was a just a very compelling person. She seemed to have all sorts of thoughts and ideas about things that seemed to have nothing to do with psychic phenomena. And uh, you know, I, I just, something in me, call it an intuition, Gene, something said this would be a really good person to have on the show because she will take us places that maybe we didn't expect to go. I think I'm going to look forward
1: to this next segment with great anticipation as we hear from Amara on the Paracast
3: in kansas anymore you're in the paracast with Gene steinberg and david bandney you never know what's going to
4: happen next this is tim beckley mr ufo reporting for conspiracyjournal.com Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at UFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. Sir Mara, you're cited in a book called the
2: top 100 psychics in the u.s as someone who is incredibly skilled and capable how did you come to be in that book how did that happen
5: It was an interesting story in that I was contacted by the publisher, Simon & Schuster, about participating. And I, in my typical skeptical fashion, was a little leery, wanted to investigate who these people were and and just exactly what it was they were publishing. And being Simon & Schuster, I felt confident it would be a quality product. It actually was a process of several years. I spent hours and hours with them in interviews, and uh, they also put out blind Consultations with people, new supposedly new clients that called me that um, were testing me. They referenced me around the country, talking to people. My name came up, and also asking for references. So it was a pretty long, tedious process. They they started out with several thousand people that they interviewed for the book around the country, and they kept narrowing it down. Excuse me, at each step along the way until they got to the uh, top 100. And there you go
2: so what's your specialty what what is it that you do that got them to even take notice of you
5: I'm known for my work with um, in the business arena uh, for doing consultations and coaching and counseling for companies businesses professionals individuals in career development and the reason for that is that I'm unusual for someone in the field of metaphysics and spirituality, in that I have an MBA for Northwestern University's business school,
3: the top hmm. business
5: school in the, in the world, and it is unusual to find someone with that kind of a very pragmatic, practical, corporate-oriented background. I also have an undergraduate degree in economics from Northwestern, and I studied in Europe international economics and political science in a renowned Parisian institute for political science and economics. So... To combine what I do and the way that I do it with that background is unusual and it's what's led me to do so much work for corporations, businesses, and individuals. I do work the full spectrum of spiritual development, personal issues, family issues, childhood issues, but I'm, I'm known or infamous, if you will, as a business intuitive or an intuitive business consultant.
2: Well, well how does that work exactly? I mean it's fascinating that here you have these credentials as someone who's an economist, but somehow you're you're pulled into the world of of, of you know psychic matters. How does that happen?
5: Well you know I could make a joke and, and laugh and say, you know, all economists are nothing more than forecasters pulling pie out of the
3: sky prediction.
1: Problem is most of them are wrong. But. I
5: really didn't fall too far from the tree when you look in hindsight. I basically how do i even explain it i i was born intuitive with the ability to uh what is called clairsentient, clear feeling, the ability to feel and sense the emotions of people regardless of how they're expressing themselves externally. I was also born with the gift of sight, clairvoyance, to see pictures past, present, and future. When I was in the business world, when I was in the corporate world working for Libby's, which was a division of Nestle, or for Shasta, which was a division of Sara Lee, I was always known for being a person of great business acumen, (laughs) and I I laugh now looking back at, well, it was a little bit more than just business acumen. And and who among us that has great business acumen isn't really just a little bit or just a lot psychic? And I, I credit my ability to rise so quickly in the corporate world at a very young age with that great business acumen. And my abilities come in, if you want to divide it just for the sake of argument, my right brain intuitive receptor abilities fine with my blue chip education and working for blue chip company experience so that we have the best of both worlds. We have the left brain and the right brain. But the how, the how that I do my work now as opposed to when I was working in the corporate, you know, environment is through my intuition. Instead of doing a three month research project or a focus Group on packaging or marketing or strategy of a business or a service, I can simply receive the impression, the message instantaneously, and have quote an instinctual feel for which way we need to go.
1: You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Amara, who will call by the very simple term psychic, and she has a website called The Wisdom Light at thewisdomlight.com. Now, there was some point in your life. Amara, where you said, you know what, the business world isn't quite what I want to do. I want to go off and do the consulting and all this other stuff. So at what point did the line of demarcation appear? Or is it just something you gradually fell into?
5: You know, all my life I really didn't have a particular desire to go into the business world. I wanted to pursue a more artistic career. However, in my family, when you're smart and you get a good education as was well a high value, you become a doctor, lawyer, or an Indian <laughs> and when you, when I was living in Europe in Paris at, and and studying at L'Etudiant Politique, I was accepted at Northwestern's Graduate Business School of Management, and that December made the decision for me that I would return because you don't really turn down that type of, <laughs> of a graduate opportunity. However, in the mid '80s, I had overachieved what I had ever expected to achieve in business. I was a senior executive in a Silicon Valley firm. I had just been promoted to the largest division of the company after having been hired to turn around another division of the company in which I quadrupled sales and quintupled net profits the first year. I had gone beyond where I expected to go and I was also very despairing of the political hypocrisy in the corporate world especially as a woman In every job that I had in the corporate world I was always the first female at that level the first woman in management the first woman at this level of management the first senior executive and um, a lot of what I saw and a lot of the contradictions did not feel right to me. I wanted to, to do something different. Um, and so I decided that it was time and I had earned the right to be able to do what I wanted to do. And I had a chance to break the golden handcuffs. I sold my house in San Francisco, sold the sports car, liquidated the stock. And I went down after studying for a year um, and getting some experience. I went down to Hollywood to pursue my um, interest and my lifelong desire to do film and television acting, which I did do. And within one year, I had my SAG card, and I was on General Hospital, I had a lead in the film, I was doing commercials. And that was because I approached myself as I would approach any other marketing project and was able to do in a year what it averages four years for most people to do. However, the universe had other plans for me, and so the transition was not a gradual progression. The, The transition was a very clear medical situation. I was injured. Um, The momentum I was building in in my film career had to stop while I tried to recover, spent a year recovering. I was written off by the medical profession. I was told I would have to spend the rest of my life in pain and by 50 years of age I would be in a wheelchair. What happened? I I injured my back. I injured my lower back in a work injury and um, they basically said there's nothing we can do for you. And here's these pain pills. Oh, and by the way, you know in 10 years taking the pain pills you'll need a liver transplant. And we'll just do surgery on you when you're 50 and in a wheelchair.
1: And they'll make a lot of money from you, but that's it. doesn't sound and like they're very understanding.
5: Right, my response was, how dare you tell a 30-year-old woman, you know, to write her life off like that, you know? I pers- And that was when the beginning of me, quote, coming out of the closet, as I call it, began, because it now was, Metaphysician, heal thyself all my life on the side i had studied the mystical arts um you know religions uh the history of witchcraft in america you know um you name astrology um dreams and rem sleep in trying to understand myself and the different way my brain worked and the different way I perceived the world and the way I was constantly receiving impressions and being inundated by these visions I had been making an attempt personally and privately to be in control of it, these abilities as opposed to them being in control of me. So I had already been a life student of an alternative path. You know, with this declaration for the medical profession I said, you know, I don't think so and to be polite, that was not even the way I said it. Uh um, <laughs> um, and I said about...
1: And this is a family um, program, Amara, so we don't have to go there.
5: That's right. But that's you can
1: right. tell me off the
2: air. And she didn't, though. She didn't say she's, she's No. You've entered
3: another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
1: just pause and tell everybody you're in the power cast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney and we have Amara who's a psychic and we're going to cover areas of her abilities in a moment right now we're just looking at the transition from corporate person to someone who is dealing with her own issues and troubles and getting into a totally new field so let's progress
5: exactly and uh, I was also studying the native path with the Lakota medicine man only um, dealt with natives. It was unusual that I was invited um, to work and study with him um, as, a, as a non-native person. Uh, and it began a, a long process of overcoming the, the physical prognosis and, as I said, rising above it with energy and with refining my work as a healer as well as an understanding of myself, my soul, my soul's purpose here. And what happened was I gradually began doing more and more consultations for friends, for people, even for other professional, well-known professional psychics in the LA area. And each time I did, I would be told you should be doing this professionally. And I would go, oh no, 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 this is not something you do professionally. <laughs> and however, more and more people came that the only way I could respond to the people that were seeking me um, was to be doing it full-time or to be doing it as much as possible. And so I was literally dragged out of the closet. My first public event was for, ironically enough, given my background, the First Bank of Boston. And they had reserved the L.A. Observatory up in Observatory Park and high above L.A. at night for a party of 500 to 600 of their employees and I was one of five psychics hired to entertain and that night I did a hundred readings in a a few hours. Um, I loved it. It was a wonderful combination of my, my belief in the integrity and the importance of opening people's minds to a greater awareness than what we simply see with the entertainment aspect that I had just spent the last few years learning how to be a professional entertainer of folks. So hopefully I could hand them the truth, the wisdom, and the light in a way that was palatable and entertaining. And it just spiraled from there. Um, It was as if it was a snowball rolling downhill. And within a year, I had over 600 clients in L.A., and I was being featured on local shows and had opportunities to teach. I spoke at the Whole Life Expos in Pasadena, L.A., Phoenix, Later in Denver, et cetera, so it was a medical trauma that was a challenge, an initiation to me to um, become more true to myself, to wear on the outside the truth of who I was on the inside that I've been hiding from the world. and it in retrospect, what I do now really combines that left brain blue chip background with my um, lifelong studies of the mystical and the professionalism of entertaining people uh, to come together to work with um, individuals, groups, companies, Mm -hmm. uh, toward whatever goal or need that they have. And uh, it's been a process ever since of continuing challenges, but at the same time, it's, it's very gratifying. I would not go back as many times as I've had opportunities to go back or been asked to be hired by some of my clients full time. I would not go back. I, it's gratifying to be able to help people make their dreams come true. It's gratifying to see people free themselves of blocks and obstacles that have prevented them for years uh, from achieving peace or health or you know, potential as a soul. So I might have a million ideas, but I can't implement them all. And so it's wonderful for me to help other people implement their dreams, their visions, their ideas.
2: Amara, I want to just go back for a minute to your childhood where these capabilities that you say you have were manifesting themselves. I have a two-part question. How specifically do, did, did you go through the experience of realizing that something was going on? And did you tell your friends and your family about it at the time? What, and what was their reaction if you did?
5: Put it into context because your audience will probably understand this better if I do. I was raised in the northeast coast. North Central New Jersey. I consider California home, but I was 12 years old before we relocated to California. My family is Catholic, very Catholic. I spent most of my elementary or half of my elementary school career in a Catholic school. My mother's family is Italian. My, uh, my father's family is uh, Danish, Irish. And so that tells you a little bit about the background I come from. <laughs> Typically, these aren't the things that you're discussing or that you have open support for. Uh, my family was one that i did not feel that i could discuss it with i didn't even know what i would be discussing or asking i was a child all i knew was that if you as an adult said something and it wasn't true i knew it i knew what you were really thinking this made it very hard um i guess you would call it telepathy I, as well as the clairsentience of being able to feel their real emotions. So someone's being externally polite, but really they're seething inside, or they dislike the person to whom they're being polite. You know, we we learn in our society as adults to put on a veneer of politeness and diplomacy, and yet we don't often feel diplomatic or as if we'd like to be polite to the person to whom we're speaking. Children can sense that all children can sense that better than adults can, and particularly a child who's hypersensitive, whose whose sensory abilities go beyond um, uh, the ability to screen out a lot of the walls. I had a hard time because I distrusted many adults around me, even adults that loved me, because in Being part of a society that has social norms, um, people don't often say what they really believe. And as a child who witnesses that and the adults around them, you learn to distrust the adults. You also wonder what's wrong with you that you can't accept everything at face value. Um, I also remember having my poor father making him get on his hands and knees in the middle of the night to look under the bed because there were things under the bed and it wasn't slippers. There were creatures under the bed and there were creatures in my closet and I always had a hard time sleeping and um, my poor father to indulge me got down on his hands and knees and said look there's nothing under the bed see I'm looking now and I just knew that they were there and he couldn't see them. So feeling and seeing what's in people's minds or hearts or emotions beyond what they're speaking being energetic entities that other people don't see it causes one to go within and to question who am i why am i like this why am i different how does all of this work and so when other children were doing extra credit reports on christopher columbus I was doing it on witchcraft in, you know, in New England or you know astrology throughout time or dreams in red and sleep. In high school, I did a, an advanced project on, um, and worked with a Ph.D. candidate at Stanford um, because that was, in a way, me exploring how does all this work? What is this? So when you don't understand what it is, you can't ask questions of the people that you live with to explain it to you because you yourself don't know. And there's certainly a fear that there's something wrong with you. And I didn't really feel there was something wrong with me, but I had a fear of being rejected or misunderstood or not accepted for what I knew I could do or what I felt. I was often accused of being too sensitive, and many children like me are. Um, Today we call them the indigo children. But Mm. then it was, oh, you're being too sensitive. Oh, you're being melodramatic. And that's very hard for a child because it teaches you not to trust your own instincts and it teaches you to hide your truth.
1: Fate magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
2: You are in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: I'm going to just tell our listeners here in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney and we're having a fascinating conversation here with Amara. And she is a psychic and there are a lot of things she's saying that I want to explore further. I should tell our listeners if you want to know more about what she does, she has a site called the wisdom light, the dot com, and that's where you can learn about her services and everything. Now I get the impression of what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong, that probably a lot of kids have. Very high levels of intuition, but society kind of forces them to suppress these abilities, and therefore they grow up and <laughs> they go through life and they never realize their potential. Maybe they realize different kinds of potential, but this is the effect of just saying you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, that's not right, or just getting the general feeling that they're doing the wrong thing.
5: When you're asking about aren't there a lot of kids out there like this, and don't doesn't society somewhat shut down these abilities in children? And I absolutely agree with you. It's one of my great frustrations because I feel that, We're born knowing who we are. We're born knowing what we're destined to do, and where our places in the world. And are we supposed to be a ballerina, or a journalist, or a broadcast reporter on the Paracast? We're
1: born. Uh, (laughs) Now I know.
5: You didn't know Uh, your destiny, did you?
1: I think I did Uh, because I was playing with this kind of stuff when I was ten years old. I was playing with uh, very rudimentary tape recorders, and I stuttered as a child. By the way, okay, I stuttered as a child, and when I was 10 or 11, I persuaded... Yeah. appealed to my parents, begged to get a tape recorder. Within a week, listening to my voice back and forth, the stutter was almost gone. Now, I was lucky because a lot of people go through that experience taking a lot more time. But I, that's how I overcame it. And here I am, I guess.
5: Here you are so, today. And who'd have thunk it?
2: Right. So it's you and James Earl Jones. Okay. I'm sorry. I just had to compare Gene and James Earl Jones. for. Yes. I am your father. Yes. Oh. Sorry about that. God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, the Paracast has just evolved into something else.
1: Well, um, no, no, no. Uh, Michael Horn
2: is not returning to this show right now. No, don't. Gene, don't, don't even go there. We That's do the H word. No, stop it. Amara is being great, and we don't want to even bring up the his name. The creature. No, please. The H word. Stop it. Yamara, <laughs> take over the conversation, please, before but, Jean but, does something bad. David and I are going to argue oh, here. So Just so go ahead. Think Just continue. Announced
5: about Jean that we don't want him to know. We
2: don't
1: want
5: <laughs> the world to know.
1: We don't yeah, exactly. Know. At this well, point, it's so, too actually, late.
5: So, yeah. So there you go. So there's my point that you are born knowing, and yet with the way we're structured, with the way you know, prove it. I have to see it to believe it. Reductionist thinking, and and the way we. We educate our children in this reductionist method by telling children it's all make believe, you know, it's not real. You're imagining it. When a child I work with a lot of families with children like this and they come to me frustrated because the kindergarten teacher says my child needs to be on drugs. I'm like, excuse me, where did your kindergarten teacher get her medical degree? You know? And the child is a brilliant child who's bored, or he's a brilliant sensitive child that is having sensory integration issues, not able to screen out the sensory functions, and, or a child who is feeling the emotions, who's, who's a, a, what we call an empath, who empathically feels the emotions of people around them and reacting to that. We start to shut them down. We tell them there's something wrong with them. We tell them, you're imagining this. It's not real, and then the child begins to distrust themselves. They begin to distrust what they feel. And then we wonder why when they're teenagers, they give in to peer pressure. They do things they know are wrong, and they get hurt or in trouble for it. They experiment with drugs. Because we've taught them to push aside, to repress, and to ignore their higher guidance, their their inner God self, their intuitive voice that knows what is their individual truth. And that is um, an innate part of the way we educate children. So, as adults, we lose a lot of our natural sensitivities. And my job is very much often simply chipping away at the walls and the obstacles and the entanglements and the blinders that have been put on people to strip back to their truth, the in, inner sense of knowing who they are, their higher selves. And children today are so innately wise the children that are being born and so intensely powerful because of the intense times they were brought born into but the technology that we've developed is is in many ways destroying this uh... i mentioned to you earlier david that joseph chilton pierce writes a wonderful book called Evolution's End that talks about how we're literally changing the frontal lobe of the brain and the structure of the brain with the technology and the staccato style of visual sensory perception, the staccato style. It started with MTV. And then we went from MTV and short little videos to 10-second sound bites and 30-second commercials with high visuals that literally are moving so fast the brain cannot keep up. So as a child, because at a younger and younger age, we keep plopping children in front of these visuals. We have television designed for one and two-year-olds now. We plop these children in front of it. Their brain neurologically can't keep up with it. It goes, whoa, I can't keep up with this. Let me just turn off and the receptors shut down and it is the beginning of desensitization and then we have these um, you know hunt and seek style video games that are the same progression of that staccato fast shut down the receptors and the children become more and more desensitized so that they need louder and louder input in order to feel and then we wonder why the psychotropic and the um, hallucinogenic drugs are back in vogue LSD heroin um, you know mushrooms are all back in vogue because these children are being raised with Literally having their brains being rewired by the technology that has advanced technologically so far beyond what our brains can receive. So they can no longer at the age of 15 go outside and simply appreciate a quiet night sky or the leaf Hmm. rustling in the wind or the leaf turning orange and yellow and brown because it doesn't move fast enough and it doesn't make enough noise and it doesn't look like the matrix. And this is scary for me to see this because there's a real disconnect between our spiritual evolution and our development as compassionate human beings and our technological ability that works against that.
2: But what's the answer? Is the answer to the technology, I mean, part of the problem with this, is, not the problem, but part of the fact is that technological progress happens regardless of any one individual's desire to rein it in or control it. Um, and, and I, Gene and I are both technologists, so you know we, we are two people who probably say, Hey, we like technology speeding up. So the question is what can be done about this in a pragmatic sense?
5: Well, in technology, without it, we wouldn't be having a streaming you know, cast across the world. So there are positive things to technology, of course, and you cannot stop progress. I always tell my students, you know, the only thing that you, when you try to stand still, the only thing you do is move backwards because the earth is constantly rotating. So think of it this way. The earth is always moving. If you're not moving with it forward, you're going backwards. (laughs) because you're now standing on ground that's kind of you weren't standing on five minutes ago and you must constantly move forward it's the state of our being it's a big classroom but there has to be balance there has to be an integration of the hard technology and the spiritual evolution the the, the, the greater um, if you will um, moral questions need to be addressed, and the problem is or the opportunity is all technology does is present us with a temptation, and therefore it presents us with an opportunity to rise above ourselves. Shall we be the slothful, lazy humans that we can be sometimes and say, "Gee, technology has made my life so easy. All I have to do is nuke my food i don 't need to make my child a homemade meal and have a family dinner around the table. Technology has made my life so easy. Why should I take the time to write someone a thank you note? I can zip them a little email and say, hey, thanks, it was great. I am amazed at the amount of personal business people are willing to do by email, for example, than rather have a face-to-face, a letter-to-letter, or a phone-to-phone conversation. Why? Because it's easier. You get away with more. <laughs> you, can, you can hide more of your emotions. Um, if it's a difficult subject, you don't have to face them. Um, so technology makes life easy, but it's a providing an, an opportunity for us to rise above our own temptation to be lazy and do things the easy way.
1: It's a way to become anonymous email, because they don't have to see what you look like or who you are.
3: You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Paracast. And I know who we
1: are, David Bietney and Jean Steinberg and Amara joins us. She has a site called The Wisdom Light. Go to the Wisdomlight.com to learn more about the things she does. Now I want to raise kind of the large issue because I'm sure our listeners are gonna to want to know about this, and that is that society relegates people called psychics to the fringe, the kooks <laughs> So to speak, they say that these people really are either playing games for the profit or or they may have uh a great intuition in terms of doing something called cold readings where they can kind of sense what people say. They're just good natural psychoanalysts and all that kind of stuff. They don't look at the possibility there is something called psychic phenomena that people have abilities that are not generally understood. So what do you say to these people?
3: There
5: is really nothing you can say to people that are true believers of anything, that are closed in their mind to listening to another point of view or to seeing the puzzle from a different angle, a different side, a different facet. I'm not out to try to prove anything to anybody or try to convert anybody to anything. I hate proselytizing, but I am simply here to reflect what my experience is, and in doing that I know that there are are thousands and thousands of people that resonate and understand that because they've had their own experiences. The wonderful thing about science today um, with people like Joseph Chilton Pierce that I mentioned before where they're proving where there are parts of the brain responsible for remote viewing or that um, drugs alone. And William Broad's book, The Oracle, Drugs Alone didn't account for the predictions of the Oracles at Delphi. Um, that are showing that and I believe Harvard is doing research and in multi-dimensional reality that are more and more through the reductionist method showing that there are some scientific explanations for some of this. Because all of it can't be explained, we're relegated to the, you know, the witch burning kook scam. Thing. It's one of the reasons I personally dislike the label psychic. I don't call myself or like to call myself psychic because of the connotation that you mentioned. And it's sad because, as my daughter said to me, and my daughter's now 13, but about two years ago, she said to me, Mom, you know, I think I want to grow up and be a person that studies the brain and how it works. And I said, Why is that, honey? And she said, Well, because you know, we, we learned in school that we only use 10% of our brain. And she said, and, and you use more than that because of what you can do. So she said, if all of us could learn to use more than 10% of our brain and do what you can do, just think of how much better the world would be.
3: <laughs> so,
5: you know, spoken from the mouth of a child who sees the clarity more than those who are locked into professions and fear the status quo changing. Fear a loss of power. Fear a loss of control. It's why religion was invented. Why do you want to put in the hands of the masses the power to communicate directly with the divine or to receive messages of inspiration that allow them to follow their truths if you can control them and therefore retain the power over those masses for your own personal aggrandizement, greed, wealth, whatever?
2: You know, I'm I'm listening to this, Gene, and I'm thinking, boy, what we've been through the last couple of weeks with um, something we've been talking about on our forums and we've been exploring on our show, a specific case of, Imara. what we just said is exactly relevant. You know, the minute anybody claims to hold the entire truth of the human condition in their hands and their hands alone and then attempts to sell it to you, you I've I've got to wonder why people's just pragmatic sense of intuition just doesn't kick in and say, hey, I can figure out the truth using my own brain. I don't need someone to pre-digest the truth for me. And I think that what you've just said is exactly appropriate and exactly accurate. Um, But that said, I still have to believe there are people out there who, for example, hear what you said about being a child and intuiting what people were feeling and say, well, weren't you reading body language? Weren't you picking up subtle clues that told you, that gave you a kind of a, an intuitive insight into what people were thinking?
5: It goes beyond body language, especially when you're being specific. Um, <laughs> and-
1: um, And it's difficult when you're on a telephone also.
5: Right, exactly. You're not reading body language. Now, someone else will say, well, you're, you're reading their voice and there's certain, you know, anthropological, cultural patterns in voice and go yeah that's true and especially if they're a foreign person you're probably not familiar with those so <laughs> there, there will always be arguments for any new idea or any ancient idea you know i laugh now i, I work with crystal bowls and reiki i'm a traditional yusui reiki master i've taught reiki for over a decade and i work with quartz crystal healing both sound healing I work with people, and we use these bowls to do things that you can go into a physical therapist's office, and they'll charge you $80 to use a little wand that they call ultrasound. You know, Now, we are wacko, crazy people, but that's a legitimate medical expense to be billed through insurance. And it's the same thing. It's sound waves. It's using sound waves to heal or sound waves to relax. And once it does get explained by science, then science wants to own it and regulate it and take it out of the hands of the masses. And that's what's frightening in some respects to me, is that, oh, it's great that science is validating this, but on the other hand, it's almost frightening, because once they validate it, then they want to own it and control it and take it away from the people as individuals, because then the status quo can't be maintained, the control paradigm that we live in can't be maintained. So there's the good news and the bad news of understanding the how it works. I explain to people that the way that it works, I use the, the metaphor of a television or radio way. You know, people say, well, how do you do what you do? How do you feel these things? How do you go beyond body language? How does the television, this little box of metal and plastic and bulbs and electronics, sit in your room? and you turn it on at your choice and your will. And a picture comes on, not a garbled picture, not chaos, not some distorted Picasso rendering, but a realistic picture of people doing things in a predictable way. And not only that, but you can actually push a button and change that picture and demand that certain different channels come in. How do those waves go from Los Angeles to Lookout Mountain through cement, brick, stucco, wood, and two-by-fours and get into that little box and then come out undistorted? I said the same way that works is the way that I receive messages from the universe, is that some of us are more sensitive to the waves that are out there and can grab onto them, whereas most of us walk around oblivious to the fact that the air is actually a medium. And if we are in the water and I'm on one end of the pool and you're on the other end and I push under the water, you're going to feel the wave of that water eventually get to you. We tend not to realize the air is just like that if i'm standing 3 feet away from you or 2 feet or 20 feet and there is an emanation of your energy toward me, I'm sensitive enough to pick it up. And most people can learn to be more sensitive than they are to that. That's where the balance of the technology comes in. That's where turning off the electronics, having places in your home that are free of electronics, or the noise, the electronic buzz is the constancy of the computer, the fan, the air conditioning, you know, the closed up home that has no access to nature. Um, the constancy of wires crisscrossing around you and all the synthetic materials we surround ourselves with. These are all things that ground and shield and desensitize us from being able to listen to the quiet messages within.
1: We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine?
4: Yes, I sure can. This is UFO magazine and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher, and here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five issue introductory offer for first time subscribers, nineteen ninety-five, for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast.
1: So, Bill, how do they place the order?
4: People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at one eight 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 UFO MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box one one zero one three Marina Del Rey, California nine zero two nine five.
1: Bill, give us that contact information again.
4: It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina, Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card.
2: You're in the ParaCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: You're in the ParaCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Amara, a psychic, okay? And for those of you Her who don't word. Her
2: well, favorite does just want to be called a psychic. Yeah, I and no matter what a... That's that's not a psychic. She, well, I mean, what would you call yourself? I mean, if it's not a psychic, Amara then then how do you dub yourself?
5: You know, by by definition, I am psychic. I am a psychic, and I right. said, you know I cringe just because it has this connotation of being some woo woo. You know. Okay.
1: Well, you tell me what you want us to call you.
5: Word, you can, you can call me whatever you like, but... Um,
1: we want to be nice about it. We've just come out of our, great flame war in our message forums, and we well, want to try to be say, calm and nice.
5: That's, isn't that, though, reflective of the game that society plays, you know? Um, people are now working around the word psychic, using words like business intuitive, intuitive consultant. Um, these are some of the words I use for myself. But The, the two words that really connote a lot of... Uh, um, shall we say, question of fear are psychic and profit, you know. And it, it's, it would be nice if our society elevates to a le- level where we see that psychic as the Betazoid as was in Star Trek, where this person has abilities just like the math genius, um, who can do major computations in his head. The, the beta zoid, the psychic, the intuitive, the oracle, has another aspect of information to bring to the team in making a decision. And that's the information that is intangibly received, that is illogically received, but that is nevertheless as important piece of the puzzle to making a decision about anything.
2: So if someone comes to you for consultation, Amara, how does this play out? What actually happens?
5: My process is one by which I, the first time I speak with you, um, even if you're coming to me to consult about your business or your product or your service or someone else, your child or a, or a family member, I will, quote, tune in to you first, and I will look at your life path, your modus operandi for learning lessons in this lifetime, what you came here to do what is that truth you were innately born with what is your destiny what is your role and the themes that each of the three phases of your life has from zero to 18 18 to somewhere in your 50s there's a little variance there for each person and then for the last third of your life um, I will also look at the energy surrounding you, and we will talk about these things. and then from there we will look at any specific objectives, goals um, or issues that you want to address in the given amount of time that we have to work
2: together you just identified three segments of life or three discrete uh, sort of um, cycles or, or portions what could you could you explain that a little bit
5: I have found that there are three distinct cycles of life that people live through evolve survive <laughs> hopefully the first phase is what I call the trunk in the tree of your life and that is zero to eighteen. You know, you're born into a certain family, a certain dynamic, a certain race, a certain culture, a certain neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, certain economic structure, certain educational opportunities. That is the trunk of your tree of life. You might be born an oak or a maple or a willow or a fruit tree, it doesn't matter, but that's what you're born as. From nineteen to your uh, mid to late fifties is the adult phase of your life, which I have learned seems to take on another phase. And this is when we have the opportunity to grow branches. And we are stuck with that tree of life, that trunk that decides what kind of tree we are, but how healthy a tree, how vibrant, how beautiful, or how desiccated and how barren we are now becomes our choice. It is our choice to take what we learned or take what we experienced and transform it into maximizing our potential or to living as a victim and a whiner and a blamer. Then there's the third phase of your life where things seem to shift into another focus. And I've found that each of these three phases corresponding to those ages seems to have, for most people, a different theme, a different lesson. They all come together in putting you into a position, a personality, a character um, to achieve your destiny. But there does seem to be a shift in the theme so that you don't come into life and you just have one lesson your entire life for 80 or 90 years and that's it. There seems to be a shift in phases and lessons that each person goes to, and that seems to be about the break in the periods that I've noticed over the years of doing this and um, reading people and helping them.
2: So I'm going to ask a question that's going to branch out from that, and it's going to make some of my listeners think I'm a, maybe a little wacky, which I think they already think is true. Well, we, are you're admitting something here. I didn't want to go into that. No, all right,
1: well, if we weren't wacky, we'd be doing something normal for a living instead of this kind of uh, show. So, all
2: right, sure. I, I'll accept it. Go ahead. All right. Well, so, Mara, what happens when someone's life is unexpectedly cut short or let's say a couple of years ago I went through an experience where my my cousin's wife who is this incredibly wonderful smart beautiful inside-and-out woman was in her in her early 30s diagnosed with with uh, breast cancer and after five years of incredible pain, incredible misery, and I mean, she really fought this so hard. Um, she died, and I actually happened to be holding her that when she took her last breath. And, and I'm still trying to understand, you know, if the universe has a plan, what could possibly have been the plan there to take this person who, from what I know about her, had lived her life in an honorable way, was someone who so many people loved so much, she was put through this incredible amount of pain, the kind of pain that I really, truly wouldn't want to wish my worst enemy, and, and, and died in, in, a, in, in a situation where she, I mean, her senses had been completely dead, and we were putting so many painkillers killers into her just so she wouldn't whimper. How, how, how can that be explained in any kind of a way that I could or any of our listeners could understand? And I don't know that there is an explanation, but what's your thought about that?
5: First of all, I think cancer is is one of the saddest, worst ways for anyone to go. I don't wish that upon anyone. It is a horribly painful way to transition from this life and um, path to endure. And it is endemic in our society, I think reflective of our lifestyle, the chemicalization of our food, um, the synthetics of our environment, and and representation of how we treat our own environment. In your friend's specific case, Um, she's an example of someone who becomes a teacher in her passing and in her suffering Um, she experiences the crucifixion of her own pain to enable the resurrection and the transformation of those many many people that you mentioned who loved her in other words what I typically see is there's there's one of two reasons that people have permanent disabling diseases chronic Mm -hmm. problems or or terminal illnesses one is because it's your body's lastest effort to save your life and trying to kill you because you're not getting the lessons and you're not listening and finally it says you will change your life and and you have no choice because medically you will change your life due to your diagnosis the other one though is the one of the higher teacher who at some point through a combination of their own circumstances their own belief about themselves and their willingness as a soul to help and to teach others, becomes a great teacher in their suffering, in the grace that she exhibited through her suffering, in the many people that will be missing or or feel lost without her, in detachment, in understanding, in faith. When something that illogical happens, it forces people to look beyond what is seen, what is logical, what is rational for explanations. It forces many people to connect with the divine, with God, with spirit, with the creator, whatever semantic you want to use. It forces many people to awaken to their own purpose, their own lives, their own realization of their mortality. Am I doing what I want to be doing on the day that I die? You know, have I accomplished what I said I was going to accomplish? Uh, A woman like that becomes a great beacon of opportunity for growth. And all, you know, the key is where you said there's so many people that loved her. Well, then just think how many people she touched in her painful, passing that no one will ever forget and in and in some way if even 10 percent of those people change their lives because of it do better accomplish more be more at peace accomplish less so they can be a better human whatever their particular issue how much has she improved the world that she left behind
2: but it almost sounds like at that point it's this hard sacrifice that someone has to give their life to touch other people's lives like that it's a noble notion I'm not right. trying to discount it, but boy, it, it sounds like proof of a cruel universe.
5: Well, not not if you combine that with her own personal karma of what created this and what her lessons were. So on the one hand, here is this this noble event, act, effect. On the other hand, you know you can contract anything. She could have contract. She could have had an, a sudden heart attack. She could have been hit by a mm-hmm. bus. She contracted cancer. That has to do with her personal issues and her personal um, feelings about herself and the world um, that she chose as a soul, that modality. It, it, it's just like when people come to me, and they're always like moaning and groaning about their parents or their spouse, right? And mm-hmm. it's always my mother's fault. It's always my father's fault. It's always my husband's fault. It's always my wife's fault. And I said, but you pick them. And they look at me, and I go, I didn't pick my parents. Three people have to agree to a conception before a conception can take place the biological mother, the biological father, and the biological child. Without the agreement of those three souls, now I'm not saying three human personalities, three souls, no matter what one of them says, kicking and screaming that he didn't want it, all three have to agree with that pregnancy to conceive, whether it ends in an abortion, a miscarriage, an adoption, an abusive situation, a a premature death, or a happy, you know, leave it to beaver family. Your soul is picking the lessons. Your higher self, all according to divine order, is putting your life into a context bigger than what we can see or possibly claim to understand until after the fact. And sometimes we never know what that divine order was that caused a certain event to happen to someone we care about or a certain event not to happen to someone we care about. Why didn't they get that job? Why didn't they get that that movie? Why didn't, you know, they... You know, were they able to have their own children?
3: You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Let me tell our listeners,
1: you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking to Amara, and maybe I shouldn't use the P word either, so we'll just say that she has a site called thewisdomlight.com. I guess we'll have to use that word.
5: You'll have to use the I think we'll have to go
1: with that. You know, let me raise a larger question here, and and that is, of course, and I at this point, we're not taking phone calls from listeners. It's something we'll do someday, but... For example, I can't ask you to learn much about my personality based on talking with me for 40 or 50 minutes where I've asked a few questions, David's asked a few questions, but maybe in the next few minutes you could maybe give a few impressions of what you gather from David and myself just from having talked to both of us for a while, and maybe we're putting you on the spot here.
2: Does the Paracast have a future, Amara?
3: That's all right. That's quite all right. I
5: want be careful, though. I, I was once on air live with a radio show host in Colorado Springs, and I predicted that he would be leaving the firm and the company. He insisted I give him a prediction on the air. And I said I, I started looking at it, and I said, I don't think you want me to do this live. He said, uh, yes, I do. I want you to tell me about him stuff about career. you sure you don't want to go to break? Oh, no, I want you to just like, well, I, I see things changing for you. I was trying to be very diplomatic. Oh, knowing man. everybody was listening. And um Sure enough, things changed within two weeks. The second time I did that on the air for um, a talk show host in Denver, I predicted that there was an opportunity that would come to him within two weeks for a host and relocation. And he did. Within two weeks, he had an offer to go to New York and host a show in New York. And I'm like, I don't know if we want to say this on the air and let your bosses know what's going on just quite yet.
1: We are the bosses here. You are the bosses. That's right.
5: are the men. (laughs)
1: Well, you know,
5: uh, let me start with David. Uh, David um, and I... uh, Talked prior to this and setting up this interview, and I, I told him this. I'll tell you this: is that um, you know, as I think he said at the beginning of this cast, you know, what are we doing? You know, how did we get here? These technologies, the guys, getting here, and I looked at this and said, "Oh my gosh!" You know, how can you even question it? Because David's destiny is to touch the masses, you know, and it is it is to connect with thousands and many and large groups of people. It is to have an effect of transformation through communication whether he does it broadcasting whether he does it through the written word whether he stands in front of an audience with a microphone so while he may have been more comfortable being behind the camera in most of his life His destiny was to eventually be thrust out in front of the camera. And like it or not, David, you will continue to be given opportunities to be in front of the camera. It's part of your destiny to A, be tempted by power and the ability to to affect people and to use that power wisely in your ability to affect or on the negative side manipulate people. On the other Mm. hand, it's also your opportunity to be able to help people to reach a new understanding of the topic that you choose that you have a passion about. So here you are doing something you had not planned or expected to do, except that little voice in you when you were a child knew. But just by needing that tape recorder, I knew somehow I'm supposed to be talking to groups. I'm supposed to have my voice replicated for others to hear.
2: Hmm. Well, but you know, I would respond to that, Amara, that um, most of my career has been writing for the masses, uh, speaking and teaching in front of large audiences. So, I mean, and again, I, I part of my role on the show is to sort of play the skeptic. I would say, well, that that's already been happening most of my life. So, and I'm not trying to say you know you're in
5: alignment with what you're supposed to be doing, which is good. You don't have to be hit over the head by a two by four to say change what you're doing. You're now coming out in a broader sense with with broadcasting but um, what that indicates is that you've taken your expertise, and instead of becoming just using your expertise technically, you've taken it to share your expertise with the world. And that's mm-hmm. my point about taking what you know, okay. and your destiny is to share it with the master.
1: All right, about so Gene. I, yes, and I'm going to sit down and, and take a <laughs> pill before I listen to this. Go ahead, please.
5: <laughs> so uh, Gene, Gene, your full name is Gene Steinberg? Right. Okay, Gene Steinberg. And I like to get someone's birthday, but I don't think you want to give me your birthday over the air.
1: <laughs> well, it's September 9th, 1912,
2: uh, 19, 1913. Yeah, no. <laughs> Gene, you're looking pretty good for being 100 years old. Yes, he, is. Is. Is
5: he should be doing a show on anti-aging. <laughs> uh,
2: if I could, I would
1: definitely.
5: Now, Gene, Gene's a very sensitive old soul, so, you know, we uh, need to be careful here, because Gene is, is. but don't make fun of him, David, because he's a very wise soul. He's what we call an old soul, and what that means is you were joking about him being old and being born in 1912. He has been around the block a few times. This This soul is not a neophyte to the classroom lessons of Earth. This soul is not a neophyte to the fact that earth is hard, life is hard, it demands a lot of choices that are often sacrificial or personally difficult. As a result of that, his soul has accumulated a a high level of sensitivity to things that happen in the world and to himself. The, the, The Achilles' heel for Eugene is not to take things personally, not to become a victim by virtue of what happens to you or who disappoints you. Your lesson is not about what happens to you that you were to react to. Your lesson is to learn to detach from what is happening to you and be a beacon of transformation. Your the phoenix rising from the ashes, the resurrection, not the crucifixion, the Easter morning, not, not the, you know, the Black Friday and Thursday and, and the angst before. You are to be an example of transformation, of overcoming, of, of moving beyond the experience and finding the gift in it or finding the benefit in it and being an example for that to the world. And to do that in a way that is very pragmatic, very practical, but is a, there's a lot here that is about leaving the past behind. Mm-hmm. Learning to live in the moment. A child like Jean, when I work with a child like Jean, or I talk to parents about working with children, I tell them this is a child that we, we, we put in constant touch with nature. We put in constant touch with the ebb and flow of life the cycles of not just the year, the seasons, but the day. This is a child from infancy who we stand to take to the window at night and say, look at the moon tonight, isn't it beautiful, see how round it is. And then tomorrow night we go to that same window and say, oh, look at the moon tonight, look at how it's changed, and oh, look, it's it's a different shape now, and isn't that pretty? Or going for walks and seeing how the leaves change daily. Because this is a child who innately has great concerns about change and tumult in their life but at the same time change shall characterize and be the definition of their life because transformation is their bumper sticker
2: mm. so we need to get gene out into, into nature more which it, it actually is very prescient of you uh Imara. gene doesn't
1: get out enough no no i don't <laughs> um, they call me they call me hermit because i don't have a middle name they gave me one h for hermit for 58 years fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730. Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 Two seven three zero or www.fatemag.com What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
2: This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Biedenay. You never
1: know
3: what's going to happen next.
1: We're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, And we're not going to mince words here. We're talking to Amara. She's a psychic. And that's it. That's how it goes. And if you want to learn more about the things she does and the services she offers, go to thewisdomlight.com. Thewisdomlight.com to learn more. So now I will ask you the hard question here. The Paracast is a new thing for me okay that's a new thing for david should i continue with the power cast or try something else that might be a dangerous question because she might say yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're big boys we can take it
2: <laughs> i can
5: take no. it Go ahead. are your sponsors listening um Shh. It, I, I will say out loud to you how i will ask that question because the should the woods the couldas don't necessarily give us the right answer So the way I will repeat that question for the benefit of your audience listening so they can learn themselves how to ask their own questions is, is it in the highest good of Gene Steinberg to continue to host and pursue the Paracast as a show? and I get that it is in your highest good to pursue it for the time being. There's something else I'm not sure you want me to say.
2: <laughs> say it. Say
4: it.
5: I'm not sure that it will fulfill your dreams and give you full satisfaction that this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get that over time it's going to be the thing that you know just you know floats your boat um, and I don't think that it's going to be the thing that says to you this is my destiny this is my goal in life, and I'm, I'm going to do this, and I love it. I, I see it as something from which to learn. I see it as developing communication and um, connections that will benefit you, but I don't see the show in and of itself as fulfilling your desires or objectives of why you got into it.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And, we're David, processing I, that right now. Yeah. Yes,
1: I'm, I'm sorry, just waiting for a sound in the background, hey, the sound <laughs> of processing. Click, click, uh, click.
5: The, the sound of the brain churning. Why is it so silent,
1: though? <laughs> no, my brain is processing. You know, at my age, you have to wait because the brain processes somewhat slower than it used to. Oh, okay.
5: We need to drink a little more green tea and grape juice
1: then. Yeah. That's right, or something um, like that. Green tea is fine. I'll, I'll go for the green tea. The grape juice, I don't know.
5: Uh, we're doing the wine instead?
1: No, I, I don't uh, do wine. I'm... I Never drink wine
5: Wine David, we'll ask the same question of you Is it in the highest good of David Biedny To continue to host and pursue the Paracast? And I get a similar answer for you In that I get that for you You need to be cautious about putting all your eggs in one basket Hmm Not that this basket is not a good basket, but that you need to be cautious about putting all your eggs in one basket. So it sounds
3: like... need
1: several baskets.
5: Right. It sounds like there need to be some other projects that you need to be juggling as well as this in order to Mm -hmm. achieve goals.
2: That sounds exactly accurate. And is reflective of my life. Yeah, okay.
5: Let's ask a fun question. How about this? Mm. Let's ask, what's the karma between David and Jean?
2: Ooh, that's a very good, very good and question. Let's, that's
5: more, much more fun. Oh, let's look at what's the karma between David and Gene. Why did they meet? What was the purpose of their coming together? And when I look at this, is you'll like this. The purpose of your coming together was for business reasons to make money, to create or manifest a tangible project, product, reality out of an opportunity for business. So there is a business, a very strong business motivation for the two of you connect. This is not just about some, you know, emotional connection and, oh, boy, isn't it fun, let's just do this for kicks. It's very serious. You both take things very seriously when you approach them. You both pursue them with a lot of intensity when it comes to anything like this. And um, the, the objective of the two of you meeting, whether it was for this project or any other, is always going to be about business. You're always going to have an idea or a business opportunity or a project that is what is going to bind you and pull you together.
2: I like that. That's good. Hmm. Partner, sounds like uh, that. That that well, hmm. that works. I'll go for that. Uh, that sounds like uh, well. There's an old saying, "Mr. From your mouth into God's ears." I, I think that's an appropriate saying for this. So, like that.
1: yeah, that sounds fascinating. We're going to have to see how that transpires over the next few years, or if we go into other projects too. That would be fascinating.
2: But is it going to be a Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis kind of thing? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be a thing where years from now they get us back together on a show and I say to Gene, so are you still drunk? Which, of course, given that he doesn't drink wine, would... Sorry, are, are you still nuts, Gene? Uh, yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. I am. Two Jewish boys from Brooklyn trying to make it on the big wouldn't No, the <laughs> truth. Alright, we've we got to stop this because obviously we're not meant to be comedians, Gene.
1: I can tell you that. I think you can write that down and take it to the bank we are not meant to be comedians no, okay?
5: you guys both have very dry humor I wouldn't put you in front of a stage unless it was a British stage with British humor who loves dry mm.
2: And, Mara, I'm going to prove you wrong on that. You are good. I'm going to prove you. You'll see. I, I, hey, a prophecy
5: I, fulfilled is a prophecy failed. One of the things yeah. given prophecies is to change the outcome. Well, the best uses of a, of, of a person's skills and talents like mine is to change the outcome, is not to maintain status quo, is not to leave things the way they are, is not to let something go into disrepair or a relationship go into divorce. It is to maximize the outcome, and by having all of the information, or all of the possible options, we can make better decisions toward achieving the ultimate goal. Let,
1: Let me ask you a question here, just and we can go into that. Go now, the average person listening to the audience, to go to your website and they're curious about what you are. You do work with these people. You can set up some kind of arrangement to provide information or help to them, right?
5: Absolutely, I work with people all over the world. I don't need to be in person with someone to do a consultation for them. I do uh, hypnosis. Reg- Aggressive hypnosis, which I do in person, and I do uh, Reiki work and teach. But the consultative work that I do for people doesn't can be done in person or can be done via phone. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking of hypnosis, now, have you read much about the people who? supposedly have been hypnotized and come out with reports uh, that they were abducted by aliens. Do you believe in any of that stuff? Oh. I, I, had, <laughs> I had to say it, David. I know. That was an
2: interesting switch of topics, Chief. That
5: was a great segment.
2: I didn't see that, that coming. I didn't
5: want to bring up.
2: Oh, man. So it was natural.
5: Know. I could feel it in the energy. There is... Uh, no, I, no, to answer your question, I have not read about any of that. I have heard about it. I have not But in doing 20 years of regressions, I have never done a regression where someone is being regressed to a situation where they are experiencing an abduction or anything that remotely looks like it. Okay. Hmm. So that's all I can say about that.
1: That's fair enough, because I have a feeling, and I'll say this because we're going to be interviewing people on this subject one of these days, that sometimes, I won't say all the time, sometimes the desire on the part of the hypnotist to unearth this kind of experience has the end result of providing just the result they expect
5: hypnosis is no different than marketing research or statistics you can manipulate it according Mm -hmm. to the agenda of the object of the person doing the procedure Mm -hmm. if that person is not unbiased and is not objective and and if that person does have an agenda so you have to be very careful who you go to for hypnotherapy look at the scandal that was created in the 80s where so many people were getting you know, having these magical repressed memories of being abused by their father as a child, and it never really happened, but it was the power suggestion by the psychologist who said, "Now you're remembering this."
1: That was reality. Right. It was not something you see on a law and order a special victims unit right. kind of show. Right? Yeah.
5: It's very sad. So yes, yeah, hypnosis is just like that. Just like marketing research. I mean, if you if you load the deck of questions, if you load the focus group, you can get the outcome that you want. That's bias. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think that's wrong. So I can't speak. For the sessions, I didn't witness, not seeing transcripts of how they may have been led down a certain path or not. And even if they weren't led down a certain path, too, there are people that may say, I know I've had the experience, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm going to go. And who's not to say it's a construct of their mind? The thing is, if it helps them, well then great. Who cares where it comes from? Was it real? Was it Memorex? Was it a construct of their mind? If they're benefited from the release, from the understanding to use this as a way to describe what they experienced and then free themselves of it, I don't care if we argue about semantics, as long as it's effective where it's harmful is if they are being misled um, through people that have a political or a public agenda for their own self or their own business to mislead people, that's that's despicable and that's the height of evil.
1: Or they want to sell a book or something.
5: Right, right. that's mm, despicable, mm. the height of evil, in my book. You've
3: entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. our cast with Gene Steinberg
1: and David Bietney. We're talking to Amara, who we are proud to say is a psychic and a very nice person, very smart person. And we're glad to have her on. We hope she'll have some more words of wisdom for this final segment. If you want to learn more about what she does or take advantage of our services, go to the wisdomlight.com
2: com. the dot So uh, there's something that that occurs to me, Amara, and this is, I don't know if this is going to be a hard question or not, but but here it goes. Someone comes to you for advice, and you you do a reading of them, and you perceive that things aren't going to work out for them. I mean, I realize that it's important to impart positive messages, but but let's say someone comes to you, and, and the simple reality for them in the near future is that things are going to not be good. How do you express this to them? What do you say to them?
5: Very diplomatically, but but very honestly, Mm -hmm. any of my clients, if you go to speak to them about me, will tell you that one of the reasons I'm valued is they trust me to tell them the truth. They know I'm not going to tell them just what they want to hear. I will tell you the truth. Um, some of them will do that laughingly because they'll ask me time and time again about men or relationships they meet and they just take a long time to learn and they're like, oh my God, I'm learning to ask you first. But it's my job to tell you the truth. You're not coming to me to have your, to be placated or to, to, to further the illusion of your life. There are many people that will do that. It's a way of manipulating and getting you to keep coming back for more. Because you like what you hear. But in the end, again, that's disreputable, that's greedy. You're coming to me for the truth, and it's my job to give it. Now, this is where it does get into how do you hand someone information that they don't want to hear and do it so it's not destructive, it's not disheartening, but yet empowers them and impassions them to change the outcome or to shift into a more realistic point of view so they can get on the path that is going to give them what they want. You know, I believe that any information I'm given, you're ready to hear. If you weren't ready to hear it, I wouldn't be given it. I have two rules when I work with people. Number one, if I get it, you get it. In other words, I'm not one of those people that gets information about you and then withholds it. Anything that I get about you, I pass it along the whole thing. A, if I don't understand it, it's not my information. It's yours. It's your business. It might be a symbol that means something very personal or emotional to you and sentimental to you. And that's my ego that would say, well, I don't know what this means, so I'm not going to pass it on. B, it may be something that is is going to be very useful and whether I understand it or whether I think you're ready to hear it or not, again, my job is not to have my ego be a filter for the information I receive from the universe, from the radio waves of the cosmos, whatever place you want to say it comes from. You get it straight out, hopefully in an entertaining, diplomatic and compassionate way. The second is because of that, You only hear what you're ready to hear What your subconscious is ready to handle You never hear something you're not ready to hear Oftentimes when I have to give an answer That someone does not want to hear Later they will admit to me You know in my gut I kind of knew that's what you were going to say Or I kind of Mm. felt that's where it was going I just didn't want to believe it And so it will resonate with them The truth always resonates with each of us We just have to learn to listen to it
1: It's a good lesson Thank you. It's also a good point to end it right here. Thank you very much. Amara, a psychic. And if you want to learn more about the things she does, go to thewisdomlight.com. That's thewisdomlight.com. And we're glad to meet you, and we appreciate you joining us on this episode of the Paracast.
5: Well, I appreciate you listening. It was a pleasure to speak with both of you, and I hope your audience has enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Amara. Thank you.
2: We're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: Just want to remind everyone that if you want to contact myself or David on the Paracast... Address your letters to news at ThePowerCast.com, news at ThePowerCast.com, and check out our message forums at ThePowerCast.com, that's ThePowerCast.com, and watch the links on the site to our message boards.
0: You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rights, passwords, initiations, and handshakes. Where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine if you will that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.